Well, it's a privilege to be here this evening. Thank you for coming. I think this is one of the best days for the Christian every year. And tonight we're going to talk about what is so good about Good Friday. But before we do that, let's just take a moment, bow our heads, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to gather here this evening as uh, your children who attend the Grace Fellowship Church, our friends. We're just thankful for the opportunity to be together. And dear Holy Spirit, as we come tonight, we pray that you would be our teacher. Jesus said that when the Spirit would come, he would send the Spirit to teach us all things. And we pray tonight, Lord, that we would understand just a little better about what is so good about Good Friday. And that we would go home tonight uh, having spent time remembering what you did and also having spent time thinking about the significance in our own lives. And we pray, dear God, above all, that you would help us to apply what we learned tonight in a way that we can walk out of this place more thankful, more joyful, more alive in your spirit because we've been with Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We'd like you to think about a few scenarios in your mind. Um, just because of the way life goes, um, for some of us, these, these scenarios may not be that far from something you've experienced, okay? Picture this. A 51-year-old husband and father of four is trapped inside of a burning barn. Thirty-two-year-old mother of five, just diagnosed with terminal cancer. A man whose debts have gotten so far out of hand that he is actually looking at prison time, and this may cost him his family as well. A marine in his twenties, a POW in an Afghanistan prisoner of war camp a teenage child orphaned from birth praying to be adopted but the time is running out an estranged prodigal daughter who has fallen so low that she's prostituting herself to stay alive a college dropout with a meth addiction a 32-year-old murderer on death row awaiting execution. Do you know stories that have had those kind of feel to them? Have you known people who've been through these kind of things? Some of these come pretty close to home, don't they? I mean, we've probably all known or experienced some of those type of uh, losses and sad, bad things. And I think it's important for us, we're, we're going to paint a picture of what's so good about Good Friday. But I think we need a backdrop. We need a backdrop. If I had a, a beautiful diamond and I wanted to display, display the brilliance of the diamond, I would not put the diamond in a shiny case full of mirrors. I'm very likely to put that beautiful diamond against the backdrop of a flat black or something that's going to um, not take away from the diamond, but understand that we can see better the beauty of the diamond with the backdrop. 
And I think it's important for us, before we get to the good of Good Friday, is to think about some of the sad and some of the bad in our world. This is bad and sad that's a reality. This isn't things that we're just making up, folks. These are things that we deal with. And I also think it's important for us to understand, when we think about God sending His Son, Jesus, into the world, we've got to look back, not just, we're looking, some of these examples are from our modern day life. But go back with me in your minds to some of the testimony of the Old Testament. And what I want you to do, you might have been able to put yourself in in one of those pictures that I just got done sharing, but go back with me in your mind to the Old Testament. Think about this for a moment. Picture yourself, you're Adam and Eve. You were created by God on the sixth day of creation. You were brought together. That was one marriage definitely made in heaven. Adam absolutely had the right wife. God made her for him. And uh, and, uh, here they are in a perfect garden. And what happens? Sin comes into the picture. Adam and Eve are deceived by the devil. And the Bible says that through one man's sin... Sin entered into the whole world and death by sin. So we have Adam and Eve, perfect garden, perfect couple, and now their their fellowship with God, which has been unbroken, and, and they walk and communicate with God in the cool of the day, is broken by sin. Did you, do you remember that there was another tree in the garden? There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? There was also another tree in the garden. And it's interesting, when you if you remember the account in Genesis... God said, after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, we're going to have to put Adam and Eve out of the garden, put an angel at the door, and not let them back in because the other tree was the tree of life. He said, I don't want them to eat of the tree of life. What would happen, well, what would have happened to Adam and Eve had they been sinful and then they had eaten of the tree of life? They would have lived forever in a sinful state. And because God is so holy... And he cannot abide sin in his presence. They would not have been able to be in God's presence. So God did not let Adam and Eve get to the tree of life. But after Adam and Eve had sinned, and he confronted Adam about his sin, he confronted Eve about her sin, and we see in our first parents the tendency we have in our own hearts to blame others, right? Adam said, wasn't my fault. I mean, it was the woman that you gave me. And the woman said, Hey, that sneaky serpent, he deceived me. And that's the truth. He did deceive me, and I did partake of that fruit. And then the Lord turns to this serpent. And this is, a, this is an important quote, uh, folks, because he doesn't ask the serpent what you did. He doesn't ask the devil what you were doing tricking my children. He turns to the serpent and he pronounces a curse. And the curse is that... He would crawl on his belly and he would put uh, an enmity, a sense of hatred and disregard and uh, fear, whatever, between the seed of the woman and the serpent. And he said this in Genesis 3, chapter 15. He said, you will bruise the seed of the woman's heel, but the seed of the woman will crush her head. And so at that point, God has already planned to deal with the devil. And he will send someone to rescue Adam and Eve, cast out and separated from their sin. God promises to send a Savior. Imagine yourself being Noah. Noah lived in a day where everybody did extremely evil things. 
Sometimes we pick up our newspapers or listen to the radio or look on the internet. And some of the things that are going on in our world today probably look a little bit like Noah's. And it's interesting, when God came to Noah, just a few verses before this, it said Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But when God first talks to Noah, he tells Noah, he says, I am going to send a flood of judgment on the earth. And um, how would you feel if God told you, I am going to destroy everything on the earth? That was the first thing God said. It wasn't the end of all God said to Noah. God told Noah, I want you to build an ark. And what's, what's uh, a beautiful thing about that story is, here's Noah facing a world that is facing God's judgment and wrath, and yet God makes a way, provides a way for Noah to save himself and his family. God has a way. Think about, uh, fast forward the tape a little bit to the Old Testament Saint Abraham. Abraham had waited for, I don't know how long he and Sarah had been married, but we do know he was a hundred years old when they had their first child. A child he had been promised, a child he had been praying for, and now, after all these years waiting and trusting and hoping and praying, he finally receives the promised child, Isaac. And then do you remember what God asked Abraham to do? He said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice to me on this mountain. And Abraham goes with his son, the little boy, or maybe he was a teenage boy, I don't know, he was old enough to carry him with. They go up to this mountain, and there the boy says, Dad, I kind of get this. We've got some fire, we've got some wood, but Dad, where is the lamb? And Abraham tells his son in faith, he says, God will provide a lamb. And now, Abraham had to go so far, picture this dad, to lay that boy out on that pile of rock on top of the wood and raise his hand with a knife in it before the angel came and the Lord stays his hand. God did provide a ram. There was a ram behind that it caught in the bushes. But can you imagine being Abraham wanting desperately to have a lamb for the offering? Abraham had a great need. Picture yourself, now go ahead another 400 years and the children of Israel are in slavery. They've been in slavery for about that long. And you know what happens? They're crying out to God for deliverance. You know what? We've, we've seen pictures from early American history of, of slave plantations and slaves. and That's just a very dark mental picture, isn't it? When you think about all that went on in slavery. Well, here are the children of Israel crying out for a deliverer, crying out for freedom, crying out to be released from slavery. They're praying to God for a deliverer. Now, Think about those same people walking around in the wilderness. They have a problem. The problem is their sin. We have a holy God and we have sinful people. So back in the Old Testament, what does God do to make provision for the sin? God has a system of sacrifices. Even going back to Adam and Eve, when they sinned, something had to die, right? He took an animal, killed the animal. That animal had to shed its blood. It had to die so that they could be they were naked. He used the animal skin to clothe them. Now the people are wandering around the wilderness and they have the, the same problem. We have a holy God and we have sinful people. But God makes a way through Levitical priests, through offerings, and through sacrifices and this whole system set up by the law so that people can have their sins atoned for. And remember in our clinical class when we talked about the Day of Atonement? Once a year, the high priest would go in and he would make a sacrifice that would pay for the sins of the people for a year and, and one of the 
animals would be slain, the other animal would be sent up, the scapegoat, into the wilderness, and we've got the sins paid for, the sins taken away, and God makes a way of atonement so that we can communicate, we can have a relationship with God. Without something to cover the sin, there's no way to communicate with God, a holy God. Our sin will separate us, just as it separated Adam and Eve, who had perfect communion with God. The sin came, the communion's broken. So what do we have to do? God makes the way. And this is what He does in the Old Testament. He makes the way for us to get back to Him. Now, unfortunately, there were a lot of laws. And the Old Testament system had some problems. First of all, the priests who offered those sacrifices had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins first. That always had to happen because why? They were men like we are. They were fallible men serving in the priesthood role and they they were sinless so they would have to sacrifice something for themselves. Now I'm in a position to sacrifice something for y'all and then that's how it worked. God would uh, then... um, And the other thing that would have to happen is year after year after year, those sacrifices, those same sacrifices had to be made. And there were the individual sacrifices. If you had sinned or I had sinned in the Old Testament, we would have to bring our own sacrifices too. But there was an annual day of atonement. This was so people could be forgiven. They needed, they needed a lamb. They needed their sins forgiven. Think about uh, in the Old Testament, there was a time when the children of Israel were complaining. And... Uh, we sometimes have that problem too, right? They were just complaining again. And what happened was, God sent poisonous snakes among the children of Israel. And these snakes started biting people, and people started dying. And they're like, people are dying from the snake bite. And you know what the Lord, do you remember what the Lord told Moses? He said, I want you to take a bronze snake, set it up on a pole, and hold it up. And everyone who looks at the bronze circle lifted up will be healed by their snake bite. Have you ever wondered? What's the connection between looking at a bronze snake on a pole and the snake that bit me? We were up hiking um, Crimson Pass last weekend, and one of my boys reminded my sister that there's more rattlesnakes in this pass than any other pass in the Logan Canyon, and I don't know how to do that, but she wasn't super confident other than the fact that it's March or April. And uh, But the point is, if we would have had a snake bite... I wouldn't have quickly fashioned the bronze rattlesnake and held it up on a pole to feel my kids breathing out of the canyon, back to Logan, get some antidote. What was the antidote in the Old Testament? How did it work for them to look at, look up and, and be healed? Faith. It took faith. It, and there were probably some people said, like, I'm going to look at a bronze pole when I got a snake bite. Not doing it, dead. Right? There were other people, snake bite, Moses, pole. Better. It worked, right? And that's what happened in the Old Testament. But they needed something. They needed a means to be healed. And go back, go now to the uh, Old Testament story of Ruth and Naomi. Again, we've read this recently. If you're reading through the Bible as, uh, as a church family, Ruth and Naomi, they are desperate, destitute widows. And in that day and age, if you don't have, as a widow, if you don't have someone to take care of you, you are in a pretty bad way. They were praying for someone to be a redeemer. Do you know what a redeemer does? A redeemer buys things back. Let's say uh, one of you older men, maybe my age, you've got a letter jacket that you had 
in high school and it's got leather sleeve, probably cost you $75 back in the day or whatever. It was expensive. But your wife sees it, sees it in your closet and says, He's never worn that thing. I don't even think it'll fit him. And she takes it down to a pawn shop from the DI. And you, hey, honey, where's my leather jacket? Well, I took it over here to the DI and you have to go buy it back. You go down to the DI, there it is, $5. It's my leather jacket. You have to redeem it. It means to buy back, purchase back what was yours that you've lost. It's to regain what you've lost. They needed someone to redeem them to buy back their life, their hopes. Let's go forward to the New Testament. Do you remember the story of the woman whose only son, she was a widow, was lying in a coffin and they were on their way out of the city of Nain? Can you imagine? Her husband's dead, her boy has died, they're hauling him out of the city. Do you remember the story? Now, you might remember what happens. We're not going there yet. But just remember the story. Picture yourself as that widowed mother whose only son in the coffin out to the way, on the way out to the graveyard. Remember this lady, Mary Magdalene. Do you remember Mary Magdalene's problem? Serious problem. Mary Magdalene had seven demons living inside of her. And Jesus would heal her. But can you imagine a life with seven demons living inside of you. What a horrible life. Or the man who had a thousand. Jesus said to the man, tell me your name. And they said, my name's Legion. Because we are many. And Jesus had to deal with this man. But can you imagine the desperation of someone whose hearts and minds are filled with the devil, evil spirits. Think about the story in Luke chapter 15 of a wealthy barber who had a prodigal son and this boy said one day, look, I kind of had it with the farming thing. And I'm adding that. That's not the Bible. He just says, Dad, I want half of the inheritance. I want it now. I'm out of here. And that dad takes half of everything he's ever worked for and gives it to this young man. And I, I believe in my heart, he says, may the Lord bless you, my son. What makes me think that? Because that boy finds himself in a pig pen. He finds himself broke. And we find out a little later in the story when the old brother says, you know, this boy of yours has wasted your living with riotous living prostitutes and women. And, and he has wasted all that you have. But that, and that boy found himself in a pig pen of life. And he was thinking to himself, this is ridiculous. He says, I have, my dad has employees, servants who are eating, they have leftovers, and I'm starving. Think about his need at that point. Think about the uh, sinful woman. Jesus went to Simon's house one day, and Simon was a Pharisee, and he invited Jesus over, and Jesus came into his house, and this woman came into the house too. She wasn't invited, but she came anyway. And she was washing his feet. This woman must have had a reputation because Simon thought in his mind, he said, well, if Jesus was really a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him and he wouldn't dare let that kind of woman touch him. And Jesus would address Simon. But for this moment, we're talking about the woman. What was her need? Here's a woman that everybody in town knows her reputation and it's not a good one. And no one would probably let that woman touch her unless they paid her to. And you know what? Jesus is letting this woman kiss him. Kiss his feet. And wash his feet with tears. 
and anoint those feet. Think about that woman. Think about Mary and Martha watching their brother die, waiting for Jesus. They've sent for Jesus, but their brother keeps getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Have you ever been at someone's bedside and they were like really, really sick? Like dying sick? And you're praying your heart out? And you're wanting Jesus to show up. You know, if Jesus shows up, he could do this. He could do this. That's what they told him when Jesus came. Picture yourself. You're Mary and you're Martha. And now they only had one brother. He dies. And what happens? Jesus shows up late. Have you ever felt like Jesus showed up a little late? I mean, really. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just like... And Jesus, we would have just showed up a little earlier. Well, Mary and Martha were there. They were needing, uh, their brother needed resurrection. Their brother needed life. Next, picture yourself. You're a murderer. Your name is Barabbas. There was an insurrection in that, in that uprising. You commit murder. Now you're in a jail. Romans don't like this very much. Insurrection isn't usually dealt with very well. They have this thing called crucifixion. Horrible way to die. But this is what they did to criminals. And they, they would go out here at first in Oneida or, or State in Maine or wherever. And they would put these people on criminals at the crossroads and they would crucify them. It was a horrible way to die. And your name is Barabbas. And you kind of know this is it. This is the end. I'm going to die. Well, you need deliverance. You need you need pardon. You need forgiveness. But you know what? The chance of that happening is like probably zero. Lastly, think about this. You are the thief on the cross. Take the right side of the You're the thief on the cross. You are on your way out. You're going to be dead in this matter of hours. Is there any hope for you? Well, beloved, there is hope. You see, in all these situations, we see how Jesus is the answer. Jesus is what's so good about Good Friday. What's good about Good Friday is that God saved lost sinners through Christ on Good Friday. That was the problem with the first parents, right? What was the problem? Sin. And it says when Jesus came into the world, uh, um, when the angel told Mary, call him Jesus. The name Yeshua means Savior. Okay, in Hebrew, call him Savior. Because he will save his people from their sins. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? He takes away the sin of the world. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Is there a time in your life where you were lost? Is there a time? Are you feeling lost now? Do you just feel like you're lost? The Bible says Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. When did Jesus Christ complete His saving work for the lost? It was on Good Friday. It was on Good Friday. God had told Adam and Eve that He would destroy the devil, crush the serpent's head. Is that a good thought to you all? Do you like the idea of the devil's head being crushed? Is that rattlesnake? Biting into the daddy's heel. 
The rattlesnake went to bite the child, but the dad came and stepped on the rattlesnake. The rattlesnake turned, locked itself on the dad's heel, and what happens? The dad is grinding this snake's head into the ground while that snake is pouring all his venom into the dad's heel. This is going to hurt real bad, but at this point, the snake is a lot worse off, right? Jesus would crush the head of the serpent, but that serpent would bruise his heel. The devil was destroyed and we were delivered from Satan's power on Good Friday. He said he would destroy the devil and deliver those who were subject to bondage in Hebrews chapter 2 at Calvary. He would destroy, defeat the devil. In fact, on his way to the cross, Jesus said, Now is the prince of this world cast out. Now is the prince of this world cast out. I have a job to do, and part of that is to cast out the old devil, that who had held mankind in his clutches for some 4,000 years. The Bible says that he would deliver us from this present evil. In Galatians chapter 1, it says, God would deliver us from this present evil. When did God do that? It was on Good Friday. Christ bore our sins in His body on the cross. In Isaiah, He said He would bear the sins of many. In Isaiah 53.12, And Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. In Hebrews 9, He bore our sins in His body on the tree. Christ's blood was shed for the remission of sins. And He was pierced and crushed for our sins on Good Friday. That's when Jesus did this work. Think about the justice of God. We like to think that our civil authorities would be just, right? Do you want to have a just judge or a corrupt judge? Well, a just judge is going to make sure that uh, the punishment matches the crime, that uh, justice is served. Justice means that crimes have to be paid for, all right? There is a, a bad choice, there's a consequence. And justice means that those two match. How does one match the justice of God with God's mercy? How can God punish us for our sins and be just and at the same time be merciful? Well, God found a way in Christ. If He would punish Christ for all of His sins, or excuse me, all of our sins, exactly everything that we deserve... He could be just by punishing Christ for our sins. At the same time, we wouldn't have to bear it. Do you remember this? I I heard of a story of a judge who um, pronounced uh, the most severe penalty he could on this person who was guilty and then got off off the judge's bench, walked around, took his robe off, took out his robe and paid the fine himself. And that's what God did in Jesus. He, justice and mercy were reconciled on Good Friday. Everything that Christ suffered, He satisfied God's justice and He bore punishment due us. And and we read that in Isaiah 53. And in Romans chapter 5, it says we were justified by His blood. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. Can you improve upon the righteousness of God? Do this. No. 
you can improve upon it. So when God makes Christ to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in Him, there's no improvement on that. That happened on Good Friday. Jesus ransomed us from sin and death on Good Friday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, He tasted death for every man. Jesus took part of death so you don't have to. He tasted death for you. He tasted death for me. What did Jesus tell Mary and Martha? He said, your brother will rise again. And they said, yeah, we know at the resurrection of the last day, he'll rise again. And Jesus said to Mary and Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looked at Martha and said, do you believe that? I ask you, do you believe that? Whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. I believe that. They were looking for life. Jesus was, he made us free from the law of sin and death. When he died on the cross, he set us free from the law of sin and death. He gave his life as a ransom for many. We read in Matthew. And then we were redeemed, the Bible says, with Christ's precious blood. We were redeemed from the curse of sin. And now we can have life, and we can have it life. We can have it more abundantly. Do you know when that happened? Good Friday. That happened on Good Friday. Jesus ransomed us from sin and death on Good Friday. How about the church? The Bible tells us Jesus suffered for sins to bring us His people to God. People who would trust Him in faith. He wants us to be His children. He he died for us to become His children. He died for us to become His bride. Now what would you think? You young ladies think of that. If someone loved you so much they were willing to die for you and their their proposal was a dying, would you marry me? Wow, you're willing to die for me. Jesus is willing to die for us so that we would be His bride. We have... Uh, purchasing Jesus, the Bible says in Acts 20, He purchased the church of God with His own blood. And He gave Himself to redeem us and to, pur- to purify a people unto Himself and to redeem those under the law to the adoption of sons. Christ died so that you all could be adopted. So that I could be adopted into His eternal family. This is a wonderful thing. We were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not in the family of God. God died so that we could be adopted into His family. Um, Think about the greatest demonstration that Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for who? His friends, right? But in the book of Romans, it takes us just a little further. It says, we know that there are some people, for a good man, some people would even dare to die. There are some people that I hope that you would die for. There are people in my life I pray and hope that I would be willing to die for. Since we're a good man, some people would dare to die. But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were sinners? Yeah. I know I've told some of you this. I spent three years in prison as a teacher. Um, Three years in prison as a teacher. But sometimes when the inmates would be on lockdown... I would have to go and work in the commissary and pass out the personal supplies and whatever the inmates would buy from the store in the prison. Well, I remember having to work on death row and go and take these gentlemen's orders for what do you want to buy. And all these guys were on death row. And it just used to make me really sad to think, these men are this close to death. But can you imagine the governor declaring them free, pardoning their sin? And letting them go? Well, when we think about 
what Jesus did dying for men on death row laying down his life for ungodly sinners like you and me dying for our sins being buried beloved the greatest demonstration in this, this world has ever known of love was done on Good Friday Good Friday was the day Jesus provided for our peace, our grief, and our healing on Good Friday. Let me just read real briefly here from um, Isaiah chapter 53. It says this, speaking of Jesus, it says, He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely, listen to this, folks. Do you have any sorrows? Do you have any griefs? It says, surely he has borne our griefs. And Jesus has carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But, listen to this, verse 5, Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. When did that happen? Say it. Good Friday. It was good that all these things happened. They happened on Good Friday. Jesus provided for our peace, our grief, and our healing on Good Friday. He was chastised for our peace. The stripes for our healing were upon Him. And as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what did Jesus say? So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever looks to Jesus can be healed. He provided for our peace, our grief, and our healing on Good Friday. And lastly, it was on Good Friday that Jesus tore open the veil to God. You remember in the Old Testament system of worship, there was a Holy of Holies in that tent? There was another room in the back of that tent. It was called the Holy Place, the Holiest of the Holies. And the priest could only go there once a year. And it was where the ark was. And it was for the sprinkling. And it was a very holy place. But when, by the time Jesus came, there was, it wasn't in a tabernacle or a tent. It was, in a, it was in the temple. And there was this big veil between the holy place and the most holy place. And when Jesus died, we read that scripture. What happened to the veil? It was torn. I'm going to tear this piece of paper to you. Hope you're fine. It was torn from the top to bottom. Indicating what direction it was torn from indicates who tore it, right? Who could have been big enough to tear that great big woven fabric from the top to bottom? And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the, the veil was torn in two. It also says that Jesus' body was the veil. It was torn so that you and I have access, free access to God. We no longer need a high priest. We no longer need to go through uh, 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 earthly men or their sacrifices. Uh, Jesus was um, torn open to open a new and a living way. This was the end of the law for righteousness. We no longer are following the commandments to become righteous. Jesus has become our righteousness. We, are we to keep commandments? Yes, the Lord wants us to live lives that are in honor of His Word. But this is not how we may get our righteousness. It, God made Christ an offering and a sacrifice. Jesus was our Passover. God confirmed this new covenant. And all of this He did when? On Good Friday. 
This is why Good Friday is so good. All of these things that Jesus has done, paying for our sins, providing for our peace and our healing, conquering death, conquering the devil, all making a way so that we can come to God, He did it all on Good Friday. Is it any wonder we call it good? Is this good? No, this is wonderful. We just call it Wonderful Friday, right? Wonderful Friday. Good Friday. It's Good Friday. And I hope that all of us can understand this. The good part about Good Friday is that it's available for everyone. There isn't anyone here who can't partake of all the benefits of Good Friday that Jesus brought about that day years ago, 2,000 years ago on Good Friday. And I just pray that as we've had a little time to see to reflect on why Good Friday is so good, you'll go home thankful tonight that you serve a risen Savior who has provided for yourself. A wonderful, wonderful message. Now what I did was I made little copies of my notes. You can take these home. They're over there. on the. But I didn't want to use be messing with notes tonight. I just wanted us to spend a little time focusing on Jesus. I hope you can love. Pastor Bill's going to come. He wants to sing a song. He'll close in prayer. I'll take my torn notes and go home. I want to share a song with you that's my personal testimony. And I trust it will be yours as well. But it really ties together what Pastor Jeff was talking about tonight. There are so many things that are good about Good Friday. But just think of what life would be like if there hadn't been that first Good Friday. That's what this song is about. Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that could buy eternal life for you and me had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary
heaven's angels from my hands pull the nails that torment me oh had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary and had it not That's what's good about Good Friday. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we leave here tonight, we leave with a new sense or a renewed sense of what is so good about Good Friday, about that day when Jesus willingly gave His life on Calvary's tree for each one here and each one on this planet. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has yet not made things right with you, not received forgiveness of sin so freely offered at Calvary, that tonight would be that night. Lord, then we don't have to suppose. We know why Jesus did it, why He gave His life, why it was joy for Him to go to the cross. And then, Lord, may we live in light of His joy. And may joy fill our days, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day, including Good Friday, because we ask it in His living name, that name that is above every name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. If you're able to come for Easter Sunday morning, we're having breakfast at 10 o'clock in our... Uh, regular service at, uh, at 10.45. Uh, Tyler Miller, our intern, is going to be sharing God's Word. God bless you. you, know, you might mention, if you want, if you really